and head that way. All right. So I'm going to ask again uh, today, we started a sermon series a couple weeks ago called Not Like Me, Not Like Me, and I'm going to ask uh, just to start here, if anybody, uh, a couple weeks ago we gave out these $5 Starbucks cards, and last week I only sort of shamed you about whether you, you know, saw somebody new and then gave them the card and had a conversation, so I'd love to just open that up briefly again, if, if anybody has an interesting story to tell about a kind of miraculous interaction they had with somebody different that they wouldn't have otherwise approached, um, it's okay if not. We'll increase the shame week by week, the guilt, I'm just joking. <laughs> Anybody have an interesting story to tell? It's okay if not. If not, I encourage you to at least tell each other those stories, tell each other those stories, share with each other uh, what God is doing. I, I do, it's wonderful after service, a lot of times uh, people will catch me and tell of uh, amazing things happening uh, in your lives, of how God is at work, and so I just want to encourage you to, to share that with each other. Um, a really cool thing happened on, uh, on Friday, I had a friend in town, uh, I don't know if you would have remembered, uh, Annalie Egging was her name, she's uh, trying to become a missionary, well she is, a, she's a commissioned covenant missionary to Ecuador, she was here uh, with us in the spring, and she's had this kind of one last bit of paperwork, and so she came all the way to LA to go to the Ecuadorian consulate just to try to get the paperwork, and she struck out. She didn't get what she needed, and she was kind of bummed, but realized she needed paperwork to get here from Ecuador, actually, and was kind of discouraged by it, and was trying to figure it all out, wondering if she actually has to now fly to Ecuador to do this. Um, and uh, Vicky Golisari, and I'm sorry, Vicky, if I'm embarrassing you, happened to be in the office and just said, well, let's pray. You know, this sounds, let's just pray right now that these, this paperwork thing would get settled. And uh, Annalie sent me a text yesterday and said, it's gonna, it, the paperwork's coming. It'll be here Monday. I'm going to get it all finalized. Tell Vicky, like, thank you for praying for me. God answers prayers. I was really discouraged. And so just little, little things where God shows up like that when we step out a little bit and just do something that, it's just, it's good. It's good. And so share those stories with each other. We need to share those stories with each other more and more. And we talked about stories back in the fall. And so not, this isn't a sermon about stories, but share stories with each other of God's intervention. It's just... There's a lot of those things happening, I know, in our midst, and, and we don't always tell each other. So I want to encourage you to tell each other. Well, this Sunday we're on week three, week three of a, of a series called Not Like Me, where we're looking at Jesus interacting with the wrong people. Jesus interacting with the wrong people. This morning we are in Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26 through 39, 26 through 39, if you'd like to follow along, and then we'll be walking through the story as well, so if you want to keep it open to see where we're at. So they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasene asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged Jesus to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away. And told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is an actual picture of the, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, in some parts, this, this, they call it a lake sometimes in the Bible because it technically is a lake. But it's so large that there's some parts that are literally 20 miles across. It's a huge body of water. Huge body of water. And so we, in this week's text, we find Jesus not only going and hanging out with the wrong person this unclean man, but going to the wrong place. Because across the lake is the the land where uh, this Gerasenes or Gadarenes, there's different translations of this word, where the Gentiles live, largely. There's a largely Greek-inhabited area. So Jesus is going to an unclean land with, with an unclean guy, and he's going to a cemetery which for a practicing Jew is an unclean place. He is in all the wrong places with all the wrong people. And then there's these pigs nearby. And that's just no good if you're a Jew. You're not supposed to be around pigs. What is Jesus doing? This is a really strange story. One scholar writes, Jesus, the Jewish rabbi proclaiming the coming kingdom of God, goes to an unclean land to meet a man possessed by an unclean spirit living in an unclean place. This is, in short, the very last place Jesus should be. And then he says this, which, when you think about it, is where God usually shows up. Jesus is in the last place place a good obedient practicing Jew should be this is crazy he should not go here he should not go there he is trying to teach other people so as a rabbi his job essentially is to teach other people how to follow Yahweh you look at the text you teach them how to follow the text the rabbis would build upon all the laws and say well to practice this law to be in obedience to this law don't do this don't do that I don't know if I've told you the story before uh, one example of this, uh, I, I was in Chicago, and there's a large uh, Orthodox um, Jewish population in the area of Chicago where North Park University is. And I was on my way uh, one summer, I had to, to be a chaplain at the hospital, and I'm on my way to the hospital, I was walking, it's just about a mile down the street. And, and this man emerges from the back of his house, and he says, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, what's going on? He goes, I need your help. Can you come inside? Okay, I could, he was dressed in very orthodox Jewish attire, the black pants, the white shirt, had the, the, the yarmulke on. And so I entered his home and he said, can you turn on the slow cooker? It's the Sabbath and I'm not allowed to do work. Can you push the button? 
See, this is how like, they were interpreting these laws of what is work. What does it mean to work on the Sabbath? These are the extent of things. So Jesus, as a rabbi, is trying to teach people how to follow the Torah, how to follow the law. And this is a weird situation then for one who's supposed to be teaching people how to follow the law. He's basically looking at a lot of things in the law and saying like, yeah, let's just brush those aside. I'm going to go over to this unclean place anyway. It's a very confusing situation if you're a practicing Jew trying to understand Jesus and and his interpretation of what it means to be in obedience to the law and follow Yahweh. And there's nothing in the text. This is another fascinating part. There's nothing in the text that indicates Jesus has any other work to do in this area. It's not like Jesus had a business meeting. There's a real important guy over there. So he's like, hey guys, I know it's unfortunate, but that's where the guy is. We've got to get in the boat and go over to this unclean land. There's some other mission going on that Luke doesn't let us in on that leads Jesus to go to this unclean place, this wrong place to be with the wrong guy. There's something going on here, and it's hard to understand what really is happening here. And that's part of where I want to go with this this morning is what is it that's motivating Jesus to, to, to take this risk? To take this risk. And what's even stranger about the risk is it, it seems like maybe he takes the time to get over there and then he just gets back in the boat and leaves. So there's no greater like, oh, maybe he, this was his first time to go and preach to the Gentiles and give them the good news. We don't have an indication of that because he gets over there, he heals this guy, and as you heard in the story, he just gets back in the boat and leaves. It's very abrupt. Very abrupt. And if you're the disciples, just preceding this, you have the story of of they almost, they think they're going to die making this trip out in the ocean or out in the sea. The the winds and the waves come up and they think they're going to die. And so now you've made this crazy voyage You think that your life was on the line. You get to this place and you go, oh, surely Jesus is going to do something really cool. And he's like, okay, heal that guy. Let's go get back in the boat. We're going to go back out there. Sure, Jesus, that sounds wonderful. We'll just go back out. Can we walk? Can we walk this thing? Can we? It's a weird story. It's a very strange story. It's so risky. Everything about this is so risky. Jesus is risking so much. His reputation as a good, God-fearing Jewish rabbi, everything is on the line here. To the religious establishment of the day, they would have just been questioning, questioning his sanity. Why would you do this? You're intentionally making yourself unclean. You're doing it to yourself. Why would you take that risk? Why? And as I said, the text doesn't explicitly say why he's doing this. So so we're kind of left to wonder, and this is where I found myself this week, just wondering, why is it that Jesus would take this risk? What is he trying to show us? What was he trying to show his followers? What is he trying to do? And so I started thinking about, well, at, at, at the base level, what is Jesus' mission and ministry about? I think it's about a couple of things. There's, there's also, uh, in terms of his ministry as a man walking the earth, I'm not, I'm not going into uh, his death on the cross and the implications of all of that for today. What is he trying to show people in his teachings and in his ministry? The Bible talks about him revealing God's nature and character to us. That Jesus shows us what the Father is like. Okay, that's an interesting thing. 
I think Jesus also, because uh, in, this, in this crazy Christian conundrum, Jesus is 100%. I love talking with confirmation students about this. Uh, uh, okay, guys, Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. And they kind of look at me like, so he's 200%? Yeah, just this is the mystery of the Christian faith. Jesus, God in the flesh. And so others have argued not only is he revealing to us the character and nature of the Father, but He's also showing us what it means to be human. He's showing us what it means to truly be human. Truly be human in His sinless life, in the way He treats others, in the way He obeys the Father. He's revealing us who God is and showing us what it means to be human. And so you have to ask yourself, if that's the case, what does Jesus want us to know about the character and nature of God? And what does Jesus want to teach us about being human? What is he going to these great lengths? Why is he willing to risk all of this? What does he want to teach us? What is this all about? And so I want to argue this morning in looking at this, and this is in the company of many others because I read a lot on this text this last week to try to understand what was going on here. That Jesus in this instance is showing us that God is in the business of going to the wrong places, to the wrong people, anytime, anywhere, any place, because every single person created in the image and likeness of God matters greatly to God. So God shows up in the messiest of places, in the messiest places of human existence. God can be found in places you don't expect Him. In short, Jesus goes to the very last place He should because this is actually where God goes. This is what God does. So what I want to do this morning is work through the text, point out some interesting things that are going on just to give us a a little bit better understanding of, of maybe what is actually happening in, in this text, and then get to some implications. What, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? So, Jesus sails across to the land of the Gerasenes, Gentile country. He lands on the shore. He's met by this demon-possessed man. I, I kind of I picture this as this man rushing out of the tombs kind of crazy, and, and, and then all of a sudden he, he realizes, or, and this is a part we'll get into, the man realizes, or those things possessing him realize just who he's interacting with and he hits his knees and you have this utterance of son of the most high god what do you want with us what do you want with me the demons within this man recognize jesus and and it's for us we have to acknowledge that this whole idea of of, of demon possession and today like what is really going on there kind of wrestle with that we have, we have all kinds of sciences and things that we work through with, like, what is actually happening? And so we're not, sorry if that's what you're looking for this morning, I'm not getting into all that this morning. That's a different message or a different teaching. But this man, he, he comes and he hits his knees and, and the demons within him or, or whatever it is that's speaking on his behalf at this point recognizes Jesus' authority and they're afraid of what Jesus can do to them. Very interesting point there. And, and, and Jesus then turns to the man, and here's where, where an interesting identity struggle starts to happen within this man. Because Jesus addresses the man, but he's actually addressing the demons within the man. Do you see this strange identity struggle that's happening right here? 
And he says, what is your name? A very simple question. What is your name? Any one of us could answer what our name is. But this man or the demons within the man answer, legion. So the man now in some sort of a strange identity crisis is, is admitting here that he is his demons. You see that? He is saying that, who are you? I am my demons. I'm no, I mean, he probably had a different name, right? He grew up in town. He was a regular guy. He probably had uh, a mother and father. I've seen others that, that said maybe he even had a family. Who knows what this man's story was? But at this point, all of that is lost. Who is he? Who are you? I am legion. I am these demons living inside of me. I am these things inside of me that want to hurt me, control me, harm me. That is his identity. He has become his demons. And so the people even, I imagine, the people of the area, especially based on their response later in the story, the people of the area, that's who he is to them as well. You know, we're more comfortable with him being out there, out of the city, chained up, uh, it's interesting in the text there that there's some people that kind of keep an eye on him to make sure maybe he stays out there away from the harming other people. And, and as long as we keep him out there, we're kind of comfortable with that. And, and I can admit that any one of us would be more comfortable with that. If there's somebody who's cutting himself and ripping chains off walls and that you just don't know, he's kind of this erratic behavior. And now everyone has come to know this guy. Who is he? He was legion. I don't know, that's what he says, he's legion. And it seems like they've kind of maybe forgotten, or, or at least maybe I'm reading into it a little bit, but they've forgotten who he truly is. All he is is this man possessed by demons, living in the tombs, cutting himself. And isn't it interesting, he lives in the, with the dead. And so you could say, uh, for all intents and purposes, he is dead. His humanity it's gone. He has no identity outside of these demons. He's living with the dead. He's a dead man himself. He's lost touch with who he truly is. Who are you? I am legion. I am the demons living inside of me. And so now in the story, these demons, knowing Jesus intends, intended them to drive them, Jesus intends to drive them out of the man, beg him, beg Jesus to send them into these pigs. There's a lot of other stuff could be said about this whole situation, but Jesus here drives the demons into the pigs, and the pigs go off down the cliff. If you can remember back to these, this is a, an actual image of the Sea of Galilee. These are the cliffs that surround it. These pigs head off down the hill, down the hillside, into the water to their death. So you can imagine if you're there um, and you're tending these pigs... You're not exactly excited about your whole livelihood going off the cliff, right? You're, you're not excited. So these guys who are tending the pigs in the text, they go into town, they start telling everybody what happened. And now people from the town start coming out to see what happened for themselves. And, and what I want to go right here at this moment with is try to put yourself in their shoes. 
you don't really know who this Jesus guy is. He came from the other side of the lake, you know, the other side of town, if you will. He's from the wrong place where you know how those people over there feel about you and vice versa. And now this crazy foreign guy who has a different religion and all of this, he's come to your area and now he's killed your pigs. And you come out and what do you see? You see Legion looking really normal at this point looking very normal. You see the scary guy who used to be chained up, used to be naked, everybody was afraid of him, sitting very calm at the feet of this strange Jewish man, his text says, in his right mind. He's changed, he's different. How would you process that? What would you do if you, if you saw something like this? The people that day, what does it say? They were... <laughs> afraid. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? I kind of started to think through this. Why are they afraid? If I put myself in their shoes, what makes them afraid? Because the other side of this would be to see that this man's life has been restored, his humanity has been restored, and actually in verse 36 of the text, the word used there uh, is more of a holistic. Luke says that his life was saved. He was saved. Uh, The NIV says cured. Others say healed. It's this more holistic. He has been restored to his full humanity by Jesus. He has been saved, liberated. He is free from all of that that possessed him. And instead of them looking at him and going, oh my goodness, he's restored. This is the greatest day ever. The man who was chained up, who was cutting himself, he is back. Hallelujah. They're like, yeah, you got to get out of here, Jesus. We don't like this. What is that about? Why are they afraid? Why are they afraid? Why are they not fascinated? Why are they not saying, Jesus, can you do something cool for me? What else can you do? No, they're afraid and they say, Jesus, get lost. Get out of here. First, there's an economic impact here, right? Why are they afraid? Because there's a real economic cost that has happened here. Jesus has just killed their livelihood. Well, Jesus didn't kill them. The demons did. But Jesus kind of did it. And if you're there, you're kind of confused and you're going like, well, what's that about? What, is this part of your big salvation effort? Is you killed our livelihood? You put us in this economic situation? This is not good. They can't see. And, and this is not a, necessarily a knock on them. I think any one of us can relate to this. They cannot see beyond this financial hardship that they have now just inherited. They can't see Jesus. The demons saw Jesus as son of the God God Most High. They saw who he was, his power, his authority. But the people, because of the economic loss they have just suffered, they, they don't see him as being very holy, very great, very nice. They don't see him. So their economic situation distracts them from a miracle that has happened right in front of them. That's one reason they're afraid. The other reason they're afraid is because the reality is we don't do well with change, do we? We don't, I mean, most of us, I kind of like change to a certain extent when it's changes I like, right? So this guy has been changed, but the question becomes, what will this mean? Will he move back to town? Can we trust that? Has he really been rehabilitated? Is he really cured, saved, healed? Should we let him back in? Is he safe 
for us to be around? Is he safe to have our kids around him? What do we do? He's been changed, sure, but what are the steps, the precautions, the safety measures we're going to take to get this guy, ease him back into civilization? Because we don't deal with change very well. It's always been fascinating to me that these people, they come across this man whose life was just a wreck. He didn't have his life anymore. They see him changed, restored to his full humanity, and instead of saying hallelujah, they're like, yeah, um, actually, we're not okay with this. And Jesus, could you leave? It's so crazy to me. And yet, I've been there myself, wondering, is this person really changed? Or, or is this person really rehabilitated? Can I really trust this person? I've seen this person act this other way. Now I'm seeing them act different, and we are very cautious about that. And we should be a little cautious about that. But does it cause us to miss Jesus, to miss the places where God shows up because of our fear? Because of our fear. And this goes both ways. I've been talking about it in the t- terms of rehabilitation, but there's another conversation about change that I've had repeatedly with parents and grandparents and students And that is that conversation of when young people, or when anybody, not just young people, when people's beliefs start to change, and we go, whoa, 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 that's a slippery slope, don't go down that road, whoa, 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 stop, stop thinking that way, whoa, 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 oh, he's going off the cliff, oh, whoa, 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 stop, 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 you can't think that, you can't ask that, you can't believe that, remember, we taught you to believe this. And, the, and, the, and we sometimes we are afraid. Really, what that's, what's, our motivation is fear. We're afraid for where our young people, our friends, our family, where, where those thoughts might lead them. We're afraid. The concern is real. But sometimes our fear and the things we say, and this is what I've seen with many families, is it pushes that kid. If maybe that kid has one foot in the church and one foot asking questions, sometimes our conversations push them all the way out. Basically saying, leave Jesus. That's a, that's a weird metaphor maybe, but the challenge in those things is can we stay in the conversation even if it makes us uncomfortable? Can we realize that maintaining the relationship with our loved one, our friend, our family member, maintaining the relationship is paramount. You've got to maintain the relationship so that you have the right to speak into someone's life in those situations where we don't like the change we're seeing. The other side, as I mentioned before, is that question of can somebody really be rehabilitated and re-enter? Can somebody who has had demons, who has had things that are controlling them, things that have identified them, can they really be changed and re-enter normal society? And I say normal because we all have our demons, if we're honest. We'll get to that later. Uh, I knew this guy in Washington named Chris Hoke. He was a regular white dude like me. He grew up in Southern California. Uh, he was a good evangelical Christian. And he decided that he wanted to start doing a prison ministry. Uh, he got uh, wrapped up with some guys up in Washington that were doing prison ministry. So he started hanging out with uh, what he calls homies. So they call themselves. I don't know. Started hanging out with the homies. And he started realizing as these guys' lives were changed within prison, and then they would get released, and he had this significant relationship with them, and he had seen God at work in their lives, but the reality was nobody wanted them when they came out. Nobody wanted them. Because they, they look like this, guys with neck tattoos, face tattoos. 
I mean, I don't know how many of us would be like, yeah, hang out with my kids. Work at my business. Be the face and name. I mean, this is the struggle that these guys had. So their lives have been changed by Christ. They're trying to re-enter the world. And, and Chris was working with these guys to try to figure out what do we do. Well, it was really cool, his solution, and this is, just, this is not necessarily the text, but his story. They started a thing called Underground Coffee where they started roasting coffee. It gave these guys a job. And then the proceeds, so if you were to buy a, a bag of coffee from them in our church in Washington uh, was working with them. If you buy a bag of coffee, it not only goes, obviously, to, to, uh, to give a job to somebody like, uh, this guy's name is Neeners, give a, guy, a job to Neeners, but it supports Neeners in ministry to other gang members in the community. And it's just a way of saying, like, we have to be creative because there's fear, because we are like the people in this text, if we put ourselves in their shoes, we see somebody whose life has been changed. It seems like humanity has been restored and we just say, I'm not sure yet. And so we need people who can be brave like Jesus to step across the ocean, step across the sea, step across the tracks and say, I'm willing to risk it. I think that's what Christ shows us here in the text. And so Jesus ends the story, or the story ends in a very strange way as well. Jesus sends the man who wants to go with him back to be the first preacher in his town. So the man that they're afraid of now, Jesus says, actually, you need to just go into town and tell him about how good God is. Strange thing. He, he, it's a strange thing to me because Jesus doesn't say, yeah, come on, follow me. He actually says, stay and follow. Stay here. Stay here and tell people how good God is. That is how you will follow me. It's an interesting part. And so our story is of God being in the business of going to the wrong places, the messiest of places of human existence, to restore people to their true selves, to give people their lives back. And so what about us? We get to the place of saying, what about us. I think there's two opportunities for reflection this morning. Two opportunities for reflection. There's probably a lot more, but I want to give you these two. First, where is your identity? Who are you? Jesus asks the man this basic question, who are you? And, and as I said before, the man basically says at the gut level, I am nobody but these demons inside of me. That's who I am. He's gotten to a place where he's given up on everything else, given up on trying to get his life back, and he has said, I am just surrendering to these negative forces that are controlling me. What about you? What about me? What demons lurk inside of us? Demons of greed, anger, hate, addiction. Demons of self-loathing, self-righteousness. Demons of disease or conditions and circumstances that control us. They control us and they define us. You know, that, that's the thing. Sometimes um, I, I know of people that, that have diseases or conditions and they don't let those things define them. And you know people, I mean, you could probably think of people that that's who they are. They've given up and have said, this is just who I am. I, it's who I am. I can't fight this thing. Instead of saying, you know, in spite of this thing, I'm going to live a flourishing life. Uh, I think of the guy, um, 
I can't think of his last name. It's Nick. Uh, he's the guy who uh, he was born with like no, barely any hands and feet, and Australian. He came and uh, spoke at a church here recently. Uh, Nick Vajucic, or it starts with a V. How do you say it? Vojcik. You know, that's a guy that he was born with a significant disability, and yet he's got a smile on his face and, and spreading good news of love, and, and it's amazing. Somebody's saying, like, I'm not going to be defined by my condition, by this. What demons lurk inside of us? Are there things that tell us, you know, you're not really worthy of God's love? Do we let those things define us? Have we dealt with our demons? And the second opportunity, the last thing I really want us to think about is if we are to follow Jesus and if it's true that Jesus is trying to show us something about the character and nature of God and show us what it means to be human and in doing that, Jesus takes a great risk to go to the wrong place, to be with the wrong people. What do we do about that? Are we willing to be amongst the wrong people in the wrong places? These texts have been very interesting for me. I was listening to a podcast recently, and the guy was talking about how Jesus hung out with all these prostitutes. And he said, you know, this is a Christian pastor, and he said, you know, the truth is, if I hung out with prostitutes, I would get fired. He thought, yeah, I mean, that's what we've kind of done in our Christian culture, is said, like, what it really means to be Christian is to hang, up with, hang out with cleaned up people. And then I, I'm just wrestling with this going, and yet Jesus was going to the, like, making intentional Risky moves to be with the wrong people. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Are we doing our part in the way of Jesus to find people and remind them that they are in fact, whether they believe it or not, created in the image and likeness of God? Are we, finding, are, are we going to people and saying, I see where you're at now, but you need to know that God loves you, God created you, He knit you together in your mother's womb, He put His, His fingerprints are all over you. Do you know that? Can you embrace that? Are we doing that? I, I, I have to admit that often I, I see people and I, and I quickly, maybe like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I see them in other categories. And today... You can't help but, but make the jump, at least maybe I can't help but make the jump, that we're putting people in categories of refugee, Muslim, immigrant. We're putting people in these categories and we're saying they're the wrong people. We don't want anything to do with them. They're wrong. And I'm, and I'm looking at this text and going, what would Jesus have me do? Oh, well, they're wrong. Better me safe. At least I'm safe. What would Jesus have us do? It's gut-wrenching to actually ask yourself these questions. And it's not about, about being political or, or, oh, it's this. It's, it's just, we have to look at humanity, the humanness, and Jesus, what did he do? What does he call us to? What was he willing to risk? What am I willing to risk to have encounters with human beings and tell them that they are created in the image of likeness of God and Jesus wants to have a relationship with them. What lengths are we willing to go? To What will we risk? Or will we risk nothing? Because, and this is where I really wrestled with this personally this week, am I more like these people in this town? That I'm just afraid. 
I'm afraid of the other. I'm afraid of those people. I'm afraid of people who might have their lives changed. I'm afraid, and so my fear keeps me feeling pretty good, but it causes me, like those people, to miss Jesus. They missed Jesus. Do you you think about that in this story? How amazing, this is, I just want to wrap this up with this. They missed an opportunity to hang out with Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, walked the earth for this limited period of time. And these people of all people in all of human history could have said, man, this is incredible. Come to my house. Let's have dinner. I want to know more. I want to see. And instead they're like, um, don't like what you're up to. Get out of here. They turned Jesus away. Whoa. It blows my mind to think about this opportunity they had and yet it made me wonder Jesus says, when I was a stranger, you invited me in. When were you a stranger, Jesus? Whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. Well, are we, are we putting ourselves in a place where we're looking out for the stranger? Or are we putting ourselves in a place where we're missing Jesus like these people missed Jesus back then? This is really easy stuff, right? So the challenge for us today starts with us, that, that we would flourish as children of God. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I'm just not so sure that I am a child of God. You are. God's, the divine spark is within you. God's fingerprints are all over you. Jesus died for each and every one of you. Embrace that. Can you embrace that this day? And then the second part is for us to join Jesus helping people to understand what it means to be truly human, to take some risks that we might save lives, that we would save lives like the life of the demoniac was saved in our text today. This is the kind of stuff that excites me. It's not fun to think about, but it excites me because it says this is where real life change can happen where people's lives can be changed by Jesus and we could be a part of it or we could shrink back. I want to be a part of seeing Jesus live, Jesus changing lives. That excites me. What about you? Would you pray with me? Lord, we turn to you when these texts make us uncomfortable, when, when things make us uncomfortable, we turn to you because we don't have answers. There's just no easy, pat answer to all of this, Lord. Lord, we, we, we confess, we have our, our fears. I have my fears, Lord. We confess that we are afraid. We confess, Lord, that we are angry when we see things in our world that are scary and don't seem right and are unjust. We're angry, we're afraid, and Lord, often that leads us to a kind of paralysis and a, and a shrinking back to protect ourselves for self-protection, Lord. We, we can't help it. That's, we want to protect ourselves. And so, God, to be courageous and to be brave and to take risks like you took, uh, it, it's hard to imagine. And so, Lord, we are, we are this morning depending on your Spirit to give us that imagination, 
to show us from, from wherever we're at as people in this room, what is the step we need to take towards being more Christ-like in our attitudes and relationships with others. Help us, God. And I pray, Lord, for anybody and all of us who are wrestling with demons this morning, who have addictions, who have things that seek to control us. Lord, I pray for liberation, that your Spirit would release each and every one of us, that we lay these things down at your feet, that we might have freedom, that we might be restored more and more to full humanity, the humanity that you gave us. God, thank you for never giving up on us, never quitting on us, even when we fail you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.
Amen, amen. If we believe that, that Jesus has the power to break chains, physical change, psychological, emotional, all of these chains that he can break, these demons that he can rescue us from, what a good, good song choice, y'all. Good job. Way to go. It's like we plan these things. It's like we talk about it and plan it, you know? Heck of a deal. Nice when it all works out. Hey, 